The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban. This Friday evening on the 4th of October 2019, corresponding to the 4th of Safar. 1441. As usual, we are broadcasting live to Luton on 105.1 FM and nationally uh, via our sister stations up and down the country, Sheffield, Link FM, Peterborough, Salam, Derby and Nottingham. And as usual, of course, you are able to tune in to us via the Inspire FM app nationally uh, and also, of course, live Facebook stream, live Facebook stream. Uh, able to actually tune in to us via Facebook and also watch us live from here in in the studio, inshallah. Most importantly, join today's discussion and debate. Get your voices heard and get your points of view across to our panellists and our listenership up and down the country. Right. Your thoughts, opinions do count. If you want to get involved, if you want to get in uh, touch, uh, you need to know the number 015824818822. 01582481822 is the number here in the studio. 0779-0779-481822 is the number for your SMS and for your WhatsApp messages. 0779-481822 for your SMS, for your social media messages and for your SMS messages. Right, we've got a we've got a packed uh, agenda for the next two hours to discuss with yourselves. A number of different topics we're going to be discussing. Hopefully we're going to get your contributions because it's your contributions that really count, that really make a difference. It's, uh, it's not me, you know, trying to define and lead a conversation here or an opinion. I want to hear from my listeners. I want to hear from you in Luton, in Sheffield, in Nottingham, in Birmingham and in the surrounding areas. What are your thoughts? Because we are going to be discussing a, a number of topical issues, including the, the recent speech by Imran Khan in the United Nations, right? And we're going to be leading on Imran Khan's speech at the United Nations last Friday, right? Did you hear Imran Khan's speech last Friday at the United Nations? If you did, what did you make of his speech? Was it a a, a moment of... Uh, success uh, or was it a moment of capitulation I wonder right Imran Khan's speech is what we're going to be discussing I've got Asad Mahmood Office of International Chapters of PTI who's also going to be joining me on on the line as well as Abu Isra who is a political commentator so we're going to be raising those questions with both of of my guests later but let me just tell you what else we're going to be covering we're also going to be discussing uh, China harvesting organs from minorities Now, this is a disturbing report. Activists have told the United Nations that China, in in addition to what it's been doing previously in terms of its abuse of human rights, it's actually going as far as harvesting, i.e. literally taking out organs from minorities, right? Whether they're alive, whether they're dead. In fact, killing people and taking their organs. And then, of course, the organ transplant business is a huge business. Uh, So we're going to be discussing that later, inshallah. In addition to that, you may have heard the news recently, you may have heard the news recently that Saudi Arabia is to start issuing tourism visas, right? So it's going to start issuing tourism visas. Now, normally you would only get a visa to go to Saudi if you're going to go to do Umrah or you're going to go to do Hajj. 
but now it's going to start issuing tourist visas right so you can actually go to saudi and visit saudi and visit more than just the the haram of mecca uh, mecca and, and medina al-munawwara right we're going to be discussing that later and then finally last but not least we're going to be finishing off by discussing the national homelessness week which is from the 7th to the 13th of october uh, as I'm being told. So we'll get further information from someone who represents or someone who's involved with the National Homelessness uh, Week and, and campaign. So those that's the agenda for, the, for, for this evening. That's the agenda for this evening. Uh, so do tune in 01582-481-822-0779-481-822 is the number here in the studio, right? We're going to move straight on to our leading uh, conversation, leading discussion. And the leading conversation, of course, is last week's speech by Imran Khan in the United Nations, right? So I've, I'm reaching out to my listeners. I want to get my, I want to get the views from my listeners, right? We've got a couple of panelists and I'm going to also be discussing it, but I want to hear from you, our listeners, what did you make of it? Now, he was addressing climate change. He was addressing money laundering. He was addressing Islamophobia. He was addressing Kashmir. And a lot of people hailed his speech as, uh, as, as wow. Uh, as a wow moment, right? This is Imran Khan. This was Imran Khan's opportunity, and I've acclaimed it to be a very successful speech. Others have asked questions and been very critical in terms of the United Nations being nothing but then a talking shop. Let me pose those questions to my panelists. I've got both Asad Mahmoud from the PTI, and I've got Abu Isra, who's a political commentator. Gentlemen, firstly, welcome to Friday Night Live, and thank you very much for your time this evening in joining us. I want to reach out to yourself, Asad Mahmoud first and foremost what did you make of this speech I'm, I'm of course from being from PTI you're gonna you're gonna hail it as a as a as a, as a, as a, as a very special moment in terms of Imran Khan's inaugural speech at the United Nations but there's a lot of critics out there who are saying the United Nations is indeed nothing more than a talking shop what what, what do you make of it Asad Mahmoud um, well, first of all, um, salam alaikum and salam alaikum to your listeners as well. Um, thank you for having me um, on this show. Um, well, first of all, even besides being a PTI supporter, like yeah. as soon as Imran Khan's government came into power, we at some point stopped being a PTI supporter and started being a, like a representative of the Pakistani government. So, first of all, even besides being a PTI supporter, I think everybody right. else that listened to the speech um they actually hailed it um and there were four key issues that you described and i think you you touched on them yeah um that started off with um i think it was but but yeah Yeah. money learning is some for me climate change and kashmir but but you say you hailed it as a as a a success i mean what what was so special about it from from your perspective to to judge it as a success factor i mean what, what what did it achieve well First of all, speeches don't actually achieve in the sense that, you know, some if you were expecting some kind of, you know, mm. action being taken from the government, from the USA mm. side, that wouldn't happen. What a speech does is it inspires, it motivates right. and makes an impact in the sense of the mind. It turns or changes the hearts and minds. So the battle now is hearts and minds. That's what that real battle is. That, and that is exactly what Imran Khan is trying right. to do. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, 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 I'm surprised that you said the battle is heart and minds. I mean, you're talking about climate change, you're talking about Kashmir, you're talking about money laundering, you're talking about Islamophobia. These are serious issues, right? It's more than heart and mind. I mean, surely you want some change when it comes to climate change because your country, our country, Pakistan, is, is, a, is, is a victim of climate change and the perpetrators are the nations that he's addressing. Kashmir is exactly the same. Money laundering is exactly the same. 
game where the, the money is being invested in the West, right? So the nations you're talking to are the people who are benefiting from you being the victim. And Islamophobia is exactly the same. I mean, surely it's more than just a heart and mind battle here. Well, of course. I mean, I look, it's the initiation of that. Every right. action begins right. with a thought, begins right. with an intention in the heart. And right. that's exactly what that speech laid. That speech laid the foundation of mm. change, of positive change. And before that, I mean, I, I listened to uh, uh, Mr. Modi's speak, speech mm. as well. And right. that was 20 minutes of, you know, I didn't actually understand what was he trying to say. Like, right. I couldn't even understand what, what he was saying before that. Right. You know, I listened to um, Boris but, Johnson. But, 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 but fair, fair, fair enough, as, Asad Mahmoud, I mean, the Indian press exactly... No, no, that, that's a fair point, Asad Mahmoud, but the Indian press exactly are not speaking very highly of Imran Khan's 50-minute rant at the United Nations, according to the Indian press, but, but well, uh, that's, under, that's understandable. Let me, let me go to uh, the political commentator, Abu Isra, that I've got. Uh, firstly, th thanks for joining us again, Abu Isra. Right, Imran Khan said, my main reason for coming here was to meet world leaders at the United Nations and to address them and to speak about the potential disaster of of." Of, of all proportions that no one here realizes. What, what did you make of, of the speech as, as a political commentator? We're addressing some serious issues here, climate change, we're addressing Islamophobia, money laundering, Kashmir. Uh, uh, did, did you hear it as a, as, as a political analyst, as, as, a, as something uh, to, to, to look positively towards, or, or, or was it more of a capitulation of, in terms of I, as, a, as an individual, as a leader, can't do much, and, and I want you to help me here? Jazakallah khair, bismillah, alhamdulillah. Hafizah, thanks for uh, taking me on, on your platform, and aslamu alaikum to your listeners as well. I've heard uh, what uh, uh, your other guests uh, had to say about this speak and a speech uh, by Imran Khan. And my views are this, that um, Mr. Khan, as the Prime Minister of Pakistan, went to this uh, forum of uh, world leaders, UNGA, when this forum has previously been uh, used by many other leaders, I mean, we've heard speeches from the likes of uh, Hugo Chavez and uh, Gaddafi and, uh, and many other, and we've heard lofty speeches. But what has been the outcome of these speeches? The reality is that Muslims of Pakistan were expecting uh, some more meaningful actions from, from the Prime Minister of Pakistan. So, for example, we are in a situation where we, it's almost 60 days now that our Kashmiri brothers and sisters, uh, they've been caged like chickens, unfortunately, like animals. Uh, there's been a complete lockdown. They're not getting any medicines, food supplies. Uh, and we, we don't know what the situation is on the ground because there's obviously a complete media blackout as well. The journalists are not allowed to visit, uh, visit, mm. the, visit the state. So in such a scenario, Muslims mm. are crying out and they're expecting some meaningful actions. Mm. Um, so, you know, right. it is just absolutely unbelievable and shocking that right. we waited until last Friday. And it's been since then, it's been seven days now, yeah. and there hasn't been any action. Right. So, you know, how many more speeches are we going to hear? I mean, and where, is, where are the actions? Right. So, 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 so gents, I'm going to ask you, I've, I've got about 20, 20 minutes, so I'm going to ask you to keep your comments uh, brief as possible. Uh, we've got a lot to discuss. I mean, there's no doubt, I mean, in, within social media, you know, a lot of people, are, you know, is lo it was a long speech, but they hailed it as a, as a game changer for some people. Others, of course, as you say, are, are rightfully asking uh, a lot of questions. 
questions, right? Now, my point here, the next point is that according to uh, a number of commentators here, uh, and this is a question for Asad Mahmoud, uh, I've got a quote here from uh, Dr. Sullivan de Estrada, and she is from, the, I, I believe, Oxford University here, right? Uh, director of Oxford's Contemporary South Asian Studies program. Let, let me say, she says, when examining Imran Khan's speech, she felt it has all the hallmarks of an attempt to involve third parties. He's underscoring how dangerous the situation is, and he's suggesting that he himself is helpless to resolve it on behalf of Pakistan, and hence he wants these third parties to get involved. Now, my question to you, Asad Mahmoud, right, is these third parties that you want to get involved, whether it's climate change, whether it's money laundering, whether it's Islamophobia, whether it's Kashmir, these third parties are the perpetrators. I don't understand why you want to get the perpetrators involved to try to solve a problem which they themselves have created, and they're the ones who are perpetuating it. I don't understand that. Explain it. Help me understand that. Hi, sorry, hi, sorry. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can hear you now. Yep, sorry. So let's go by, let's go through your points one by yeah, one. So yeah. let's focus on money laundering first. You're saying yeah. the perpetrators are the West by your understanding is the West. They are the perpetrators. No, let's go back right. to the Pakistani government, the previous leaders. Who were yeah. the uh, corruptors? It was Nawaz Sharif. It was um, Asif Ali Zardari right. and their cohorts. Yeah. They were the ones that looted the money, yeah. put them in Swiss banks. What were the banks supposed to do? Oh, no, 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 it's looting. They're going to look out for their benefits. But no, right. the focus, the the responsibility, the onus of responsibility was on the Pakistani leaders before right. Imran Khan. Right. Right. And they were the ones that messed up on money laundering. What did they do for environment change? Nothing. But, but, but that, that, that money, Asad Mahmoud, as, as we so know from Nawaz Sharif, Asad Mahmoud, the Western government, right. they're going to look out for their own benefits. So I think it's wrong to shift the blame. That oh, well, they are the perpetrators. But, Why? Uh, as, as said Mahmoud, uh, Imran Khan himself, he he addressed this issue in his speech, and he said that money, the West is turning a blind eye. That money is coming into London, is coming into Paris, is coming into New York, and we know London has taken a lot of that money for, by Nawaz Sharif and, and his family, and they've just turned mm -hmm. a simple blind eye to it. That's the reality of the fact, right? Well, so the well, point is, you're, you're then asking London, like the Saudi, like the Gulf money. We've 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 seen plenty of examples. Then we're asking Britain to say. You know, can you help us with money laundering? When all the money's been invested in London, of course they're not going to help you with that because they're benefiting from it. It's the same with Islamophobia. It's the same with, you know, climate change. Well, climate change is, is uh, uh, Pakistan is a recipient, or is a victim of climate change, as Imran kind of highlighted. And the people yeah, who are emitting all doing. the, all the, the, no, the gases are, are the Western nations, right? No, because of their own doing. Western governments are doing as much as they get in terms right. of their climate right. targets or right. their climate it was their own, they're their own perpetrators of what they've done. They're reaping what they saw. Right. Yes, of course, every country is going to look out for that. Well, let's not forget, there are anti-corruption bodies. There are, you know, money laundering acts in this country and mm. other countries that do abide by that. There, right. there is, you know, there's a, there is a system in place that you have to go by this. You can't bypass sure. it. And what Imran Khan is doing is saying, look, guys, these are the major issues I've highlighted in my speech. Yeah. Can we focus on them? Can I have you guys focus on them? Help us because now we are beginning to wake up to these serious right. challenges and okay. issues. All right. That is all he was saying. Uh, okay, uh, Abu Isra, right? Uh, I mean, the d director of Oxford's Contemporary South Asian Studies. I mean, her, her analysis is quite profound. It has all the hallmarks of getting third party involved. I think there's no surprise there. But the fact that... Imran Khan's speech is, 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 is seen by her as him 
projecting himself as a helpless individual who can't resolve Pakistan's problems and therefore has to turn to third parties. What, what did you make of that from a from, from, from a perspective of a leader of an or of a nuclear power who's got you know a lot of human resources, got a lot of other natural resources, not having the ability to solve its own problems? What, what, how, how did you see that? I mean, I see it as uh, the, this lady put it. I mean, uh, that's quite obvious that, and he's uh, Imran Khan is uh, openly uh, asked for it, asked for uh, U.S. mediation. But does he, uh, you know, forget uh, Mr. Khan? What, what is the reality when it comes to these powers? I mean, for example, if you look at U.S., we are asking U.S.'s mediation, but look at their track record. I mean, what have they done in uh, when it comes to, for example, Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Palestine, in Libya, in Yemen, in Syria? I mean. Look at the list, uh, a long list of uh, the, their uh, role in, in, the, in these places. Mm. I mean, going back to, it's, it's just like uh, suggesting that you, you take the sheep back to the butchers. I mean, you know, you're expecting uh, Mr. Trump or the U.S. president to, uh, to help you resolve this issue. I mean, and then the other thing is that everybody in Pakistan knows that the, the, the uh, objectives the U.S. have for the region Mm. is that they have sided and aligned themselves with India. They, everybody knows that. I mean, my, my brother here from PTI, he knows that. And we all know that uh, as, uh, as Muslims uh, from, the, from that region, that American uh, objectives for the region are to make India a regional power, and they want Pakistan to capitulate uh, but, but, in uh, front uh, of India. But Abu Isra, I mean, uh, you know, are we not being too negative on, on Imran Khan? There's no doubt. I mean, you know, a lot of friends of mine, right, who are not very political, you know, they were they were up in arms. They, they were so happy. They were almost celebrating as if we've liberated Kashmir after the speech of Imran Khan. There's no doubt that the, the, the this Muslim community, the Ummah, is looking for change, real leadership, someone to articulate the suffering and the plight of what's happening around the world, and Imran. Khan seems to be quite, uh, you know, an orator, you know, a very charismatic, uh, and he seems to have responded to that to that dire need out there. So, are, are we not being too negative and and not giving Imran Khan an opportunity here? No, actually, look, it's not uh, actually about Imran Khan uh, as a mm. person. Mm. We are talking about a, a person who's in uh, in a position of power, who's leading a nation of 210 million Muslims. Right. Uh, 65% of uh, of this population is under 35 years of age, a young population. And full of uh, Islamic emotions, uh, you know, this the, uh, people are crying out that let us let us help Kashmiris right now. Mm. I mean, for example, in terms of the solution, I mean, obviously we can criticize uh, or critique the speech, but look at what in reality what Muslims in Pakistan are expecting. The expectations are that the Pakistani military, which is f full of capability, including nuclear weapons and all that, although we're not talking about uh, using nuclear uh, weapons, and anybody with uh, a basic understanding of international relations would tell you that the MAD policy, the mutual assured destruction policy, will tell you that two nuclear powers would never, ever in the history and would never in future would use nuclear weapons uh, against each other, especially when they are uh, when they are neighbors of each other. So this never happens. So forget uh, nuclear weapons there. Nuclear weapons are out of the question. Mm. India has a 900,000 military stuck badly in Kashmir. They're demoralized. Their morale is really low. Right. And it's, it, you know, it's not a, a difficult objective to achieve that we mobilize our, our Pakistani military yeah. uh, to rescue, to right. rescue the honor and the lives and the livelihood of our Muslim brothers. Right. So this let, is the solution. Right. Let me, let me go back to Asad Mahmoud. Asad Mahmoud, earlier we were discussing PTI and you were talking about how PTI now is, oh, it, it, it is government. Okay. So you are representing, uh, you know, the, the government in Pakistan. I mean, on Kashmir, it's been two months, right? Lockdown, a huge military 
militarization of that region than it was previously. Uh, all the commentators are discussing, you know, human you know, human rights violations. There's no doubt about all of that, and that's the, the reason for the complete, you know, lockdown and, and break, you know, and cut off in terms of communication. You know, apart from talking. What is the government of Pakistan doing practically? What is the you know military doing practically, if if anything at all? Uh, and and you know where do you see this going next? What are the next steps in this? Okay, um, so let's go through this. Um, essentially, when Imran Khan's government came into power, mm. we inherited a morally bankrupt country, uh, no. intellectually, uh, financially, and diplomatically. On right. four different fronts, we inherited a country yeah. that was just literally on its last limbs. Yeah. Imran Khan's government worked day and night. Diplomatically, we've, we've done so much work. So we've established um, connections uh, with many different countries. So if you notice, uh, Turkey and Malaysia and yeah. China, three different countries that mentioned um, Kashmir specifically in the UN speeches. And right. before that as well. Never right. happened before, especially right. for Malaysia. Right. Um, and... Yes, China is a close partner with us, but he never really out, uh, out, like openly said it about Kashmir, especially in UN speeches. I can't think of any occasion when China openly said but, it but in the UN. Practically, what are we doing? Part. I mean, it's two months, right, of, 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 of the saga in Kashmir. Practically, what are, what, what's next then from, from, a, from a PTI perspective? What, what's next for Kashmir from a Pakistan perspective? I think we are... So, Essentially, what Imran Khan's government is trying to do is exhausting all our options diplomatically right. with pushing our allies. Look, this right. is the situation. This mm. is where we're heading towards. I mean, mm. if you listen to his speech carefully, in yeah. between the lines, there were warnings that, look, guys, if nothing happens, we will be pushed to take action. Yeah. They, look, uh, before we go, you know, yeah. everybody yeah, yeah. knows the last option. Everybody yeah. knows this, you know, if nothing works, then we're going to go right. for one. Pakistan is not going to take um, it. I mean, so, we are ex exhaustively trying all our right. options. So, I mean, so, our so, chairman was Greshi, the, the foreign diplomat. He met yeah. over 50 different people. Yeah. A Prime Minister Khan met about 70. It's never happened yeah. before. Yeah. Or everything, yeah. I understand people are like, yeah. you know, they're yeah. gloomy and doomy. Yeah. Or nothing is happening. Uh, this is happening. You know, they're all gloomy. But change is happening slowly but surely. But you that, have that, to remember, you yeah. know, for 70 years, yes. Pakistan has been looted. It's been right. in the... Um, hands of these corrupt mafia. I mean, even right. now, as, as like by, as, as, as by, we, we are running out of time. That's for no reason. Yeah, yeah, no. As like, by, we, even we're now, you know, it's just unbelievable. People just. Yeah. We're running out of time, so I have, to, I have to ask you to keep the comment short. But yeah, but, uh, but I think you you make a fair enough comment. I mean, I would say to, you know, according to some observers, uh, Abu Isra, uh, Asad Bai is making a, a fair comment, which is, look, give, a, give us a bit of time. He's building up the momentum. He's building up the public opinion. He's building up the international opinion, right? And then if all of that fails, then it's time for, you know, the, the, next, the, the next option, which is to use that military potential. And that's what he spoke about. He emphasized emphasized it a lot you're saying the the the, the nuclear you know option is not a, a, a viable option i understand that but at least he's using that in his rhetoric to try to see try to get a third party involvement here and and try to get some kind of a, a mediation and some kind of a progress on, on on kashmir what do you say to that abu isra well i mean um, look this is a flawed understanding of the international relations and geopolitics just to think that this international community, I don't know what that, whatever that means, whatever this international community is, no. that, that this community somehow will come and, you know, rescue uh, the Kashmiris. No, it's not going to happen. We know, the, we know the, the track record of this so-called international community. If they would have done something, they, they they if they had 
any means of doing anything, they would have done something for Palestine by now. For Kashmir, is not a recent issue. It's been going on for 72 years. So the reality is that we need to look at now what are the viable options for Muslims in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. There are only two options as far as I see. One, that we need a leadership which is rooted, well-rooted in Islam for the, in the name which this country was created. Mm. Number two, Pakistani army need to liberate Kashmir. I mean, this is the call which we are now hearing up and down uh, from Pakistan and also in Britain, Muslims living in Britain. They're all talking about that. Look, we need Pakistani army to show uh, what, the, what their real character is, what they're made up of. And mashallah, we know that mashallah, our army uh, has a strong Islamic emotion. This is a Muslim's army. Uh, and and it's not that we, we are warmongers. I'm a warmonger. The reality is that there is an occupation going on. 900k yeah. uh, army is engaged by India in Kashmir. And, and when an army engages in an area, the response always comes from another army. Mm. So, look, this is not about emotional speech and all that. These are Islamic solutions. This right. is what Islam demands from us at okay. this stage. All right. The Pakistani uh, army need to move and liberate Kashmir, inshallah. Right. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to go into a, into a commercial break. So it's, I, I can't really ask any other questions. Uh, otherwise, we're not, we're not, you're not going to have enough time to answer those questions. I'm, I'm going to ask the producers if we can get you to actually slightly hold on and come back uh, after the commercial break and we can continue with some f- maybe finishing comments and, and the last couple of questions or two. Uh, Asad, uh, Mahmoud and Abu Isra, if you are still available, hopefully. Okay, so I'll ask the producers to kindly see if they, if we can make that happen. Uh, may, okay, and uh, in, in the meantime, uh, listeners, you are tuned into Friday Night Live. That was a a, a, a well a heated conversation. It was a, a you know productive conversation around Imran Khan's speech at the United Nations last Friday. But you know what? I really want to hear from my listeners on 0158248822. This is your opportunity to raise your questions to uh, PTI Office of International. Chapters. I'm going to ask you, Asad, after the break, well, what does that mean? And I'm also, you know, joined by Abu Issa, who's a political commentator. So, a fantastic opportunity. Get your questions directly to these chaps who are the experts, not to me, but to these chaps who are the experts, and give, give us your feedback on Imran Khan's speech. All right. So, 0158248822 is the number here in the studio. 0779481822. Both, uh, both of the guests have kindly agreed to continue with this conversation after the commercial break. When we come back. In a couple of minutes. Uh, and until then, uh, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to Friday Night Live with me Hafiz Shaban on this Friday evening uh, Friday the 4th of October just turned 6.30 uh, broadcasting live from Inspire FM 105.1 FM we are live uh, and you are able to dial in and uh, speak to us uh, and speak to the guests uh, this evening 0158241822 0158241822 and social media messages uh, 0779481822 right so a uh, first half an hour uh, has been uh, full of uh, conversations, uh, charged up conversations. And we have been discussing Imran Khan's speech in the United Nations last week. You know, a lot of opinions out there, you know, very positive reviews of Imran Khan's speech. But also questions, certain questions being asked with regards to Imran Khan's speech and whether that's a platform uh, you know, to make that kind of a speech, possibly. Uh, and the subject matters that he's been addressing and, and the target audience that he's expecting some help from. 
from. Indeed, during the in, uh, during the commercial break, I have had uh, some calls come in, or at least one call come in, and I've had some feedback with regards to some of the comments that were being made earlier. And at least uh, one of the comments that I'm hearing from some of my listeners is that Islam is a religion of peace. All right, uh, and the fact that the, all this rhetoric about warmongering, right, uh, between Imran Khan and Pakistan and India uh, is a really unlikely in terms of the nuclear war i think we mentioned that already uh, but also we shouldn't be emphasizing too much on on the on the war element and we should be talking more about peace right so that's uh, some of the feedback that i've got on 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 the call uh, i have kindly got asad mahmoud and abu isra the political commentator and uh, asad mahmoud from pti still on the line i'm going to go straight to them because we've got about about five six minutes uh, remaining uh, firstly thank you very much for for holding over the last couple of minutes uh, asad mahmoud and, and abu isra i'm going to come straight back to you so that we can you know give this uh, topic uh, a nice uh, finish off uh, and i'm going to go come back to you asad mahmoud and, and in terms of you know whether you can just summarize in terms of what your position was and, and also in terms of what are the next steps from here right so it's two months on in terms of addressing this issue where does imran khan go next from from here uh, and uh, you know what is what is the next step, sir, Asad Mahmoud? Um, well, first of all, I, you know, your listeners have actually hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, being a peaceful, which is exactly what, you know, the government of Imran Khan is doing. They're saying peace, you know, we want peace. There is no, I mean, um, the person in the studio, I'm sorry, I forgot his name. Abu, Abu Isra, yeah. Um, yep, Abu Isra. He was mentioning about, you know, Let's mm. go for war. Or, I mean, he gave the indication. Um, mm. That's what I assumed from his conversations. I mean, that is not an option. I mean, if you think nuclear war is not there, then, you know, why would we even engage in that? Mm. Look, international relations, international diplomacy doesn't happen, you know, like that. It's always about let's, how can we resolve this issue? And that's exactly what Imran Khan was saying. He's saying his anti-war is full so, of peace. In terms of the next step, yeah. um, I yeah. think the next steps would be, again, Engaging our allies, our mm. friends, you know, through mm. China. I mean, Imran Khan is going again to China uh, and this week, sorry, next week. Then the Turkish uh, president is coming. Also, the meeting scheduled with Malaysia, mm. you know, our Gulf allies. It, this is how partnership. I mean, um, right. So, so I said, I, I hear that, right? International relations, I hear that. I hear the rhetoric about, you know, building, you know, a rapport with, with your friends. But the reality is, right, just like with China and its human rights violations, we're going to be discussing about China in, in, a, in a few minutes. When, you are, when, you, when you've got the kind of political and the economic clout that India has and China has, doesn't matter what, what you do, you've almost got a, a you know, blank check and, and they know they can get away with it. And the reality of the matter is, I hear my, my, my caller talking about the fact that, you know, war, but it is India that's actually militarized Kashmir, sent in more military into Kashmir and really cut off that whole region and, and, and is perpetrating human violations. It is not Pakistan that's doing that, right? And it's not us that are calling that, but, well, it's, but it's India that's done that. And then the last point, very quickly, if I may, Imran Khan has gone into the United Nations and he's been talking about war. He's been talking about two nuclear armed neighbors. So Imran Khan's been doing that himself. I know he's well, using that as a rhetoric, but he's been doing in that. The absence of peace. That's yeah. what he's saying. He's saying, look, if peace doesn't work out, yeah. you know, it, look, 
because of his speech and because of everything that's happened for years mm. India is under a lot of pressure Imran Khan explicitly mentioned mm. because the world is not doing something yeah. because of the trade because of you know the economic reasons that's what it I, I, I get to. that but as let me ask you a question realistically you know really do you, in heart you know hand on heart do you really think in terms of international relations I mean I've studied international relations academically professionally I I understand it right but international relations today I mean you know we see America I mean look at America and, and uh, the way America goes about in, in the world we've seen Israel we've seen India now in Kashmir you know it's about if you've got the military might if you've got the economic clout if you've got the political clout then who cares about international relations you can go do whatever you like and the world will will do nothing uh, nothing well, against you because because then they need you they need to do they didn't do business with you and that was the case with Khashoggi I mean Khashoggi one year on I was reading articles what happened Trump said it's business as usual Yeah obviously because you know I don't I understand that my main point is look Pakistan economically is not strong enough yet no. at this point and that's exactly what we need to understand every okay. country has a different situation we cannot apply blanket rules to one you are in that sense but look economically it's not strong enough why okay. is it strong enough because of the corruption of 70 years okay. that even you know the, those other leaders are perpetrating I, so I, I hear you Hassan Mahmoud I hear you and I and I thank you for that and and I've got last couple of minutes for Abu Isra to to wrap up yeah sure Yes, yeah, so basically what I would like to say here is that look this is not an issue about economics or uh, military uh, might or position of Pakistan as such. In fact, as Muslims, we our belief is that we rely and tawakkal on Allah first and foremost. So that is our foundational position. Number mm-hmm. two, in terms of um, the reality is that the other day General Asadurani and the ex-ISI chief also uh, wrote an article he said that economically India is in a worse situation right now. and they cannot afford a war right now and this is the time to be honest if you want to do something about kashmir this is the time pakistan has a position they've done all these un exercises and all that now is the time if you want to rescue the kashmiris from the clutches of this oppression now is the time for pakistani army to move mobilize and india i'm telling you this is the assessment of uh, different international uh, players uh the the different uh, commentators including the uh, general asadurani uh, ex chief of isi india is not a position to do anything right. because economically they will uh, get hit badly this right. is the time for pakistani army to move ahead and liberate kashmir right. this is Ab- the solution Ab- to the problem there is no other solution right abu isra thank you very much and asad mahmud thank you very much unfortunately we've we've run out of time great to have you this evening with us once again on friday night live thank you very much, you very much. right listen, pleasure, right listeners that was uh, asad mahmud from pti and abu isra political commentator discussing Imran Khan's speech at the United Nations we we are going to go into uh, the uh, Maghrib azan now uh, because it's time for Maghrib when we come back then we will be asking my listeners for your feedback and for your thoughts until then assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me Hafiz Shaban on this Friday evening, Friday the 4th of October. It is now 18:42. At least the studio the clock tells me it's 18:42. Uh thank you very much for those of you that have been calling in during the e uh, during the azan uh, break. Uh, 01582481822 is the number here in the studio. 01582481822079. 
481-822-822 for your SMS social media messages, SMS or WhatsApp messages. Uh, passionate discussion early for the first 40 minutes of, uh, of Friday Night Live this evening on the speech of Imran Khan at the United Nations last Friday. I'm, I still, I'm still happy to take any messages that may come through via social media messages or you can leave any messages in with with the with the producers with the production team uh, here in the in the studio and we will try to include those in our conversation but we are going to move on now on to the next conversation next to the next story and this is another a story that's made headlines in the last couple of days i've got a couple of guests that are with me to discuss this story and that is with regards to china again right so china's making headlines again and this time well, maybe even the last time we were discussing it, all, uh, all for, for the wrong reasons as, a, for, as opposed to for the right reasons. China is killing religious and ethnic minorities and harvesting their organs, right? This, is, this sounds very disturbing. Uh, and this is what the United Nations Human Rights Council have been told. Lawyers for independent China tribunal say United Nations member states have legal obligation to act. And that's what slightly worries me because we know that the United Nations is known not to act as opposed to act. But let's speak to our, our guests Okay, let's speak to our guests and let's find out what's been happening. I've got Mahmoud uh, Tohti on, on, on the line, who's the co-founder of the World Uyghur Congress, prominent uh, Uyghur Canadian human rights activist. Uh, let's get both uh, uh, panelists uh, live. And we've also got Ethan Gutman, author of The Slaughter, co-founder of the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. So far better experts than, than I, I am, or I can comment on this particular story. Let me go to Ethan first, who's the author of The Slaughter. Ethan, firstly, uh, welcome to Friday Night Live, and thank you very much for joining us this evening. A very disturbing story here. Uh, tell, tell me and our listeners uh, what, what's been happening. Well, it, it's a long story. And, right. uh, it's a, uh, it, it didn't start yesterday. It started yeah. uh, way back in the 90s. Mm. About the mid-90s. This is as far as we can determine about the mid-90s in a place in China or northwest China called Xinjiang. Mm. Uyghurs call it uh, East Turkestan. Yeah. Uh, in that region, they started doing live organ harvesting for the first time, as far as we know, just of prisoners. No. But it was live. That is, they were uh, shooting a person, but not in a lethal way, and then uh, taking out their organs no. uh, while the heart was still beating. You get a much better uh, a chance of uh, the organ not uh, being rejected by the new host if you do it this way. It's kind of like uh, cutting flowers under running water or something. Uh, wow. Uh, so, and by 1997... You have the first cases, and we don't have a lot of them, but we have a few, of high-ranking Chinese Communist Party officials going over to Xinjiang to get organs, uh, right. kidneys and livers, uh, wow. or these aging, you know, these aging cadres. Mm. Uh, that's, things go quiet for a little bit, and then the Falun Gong persecution begins. That's mm. the uh, religious group, but um, basically a Buddhist revival group. Yeah, uh, the way I describe it, no. uh, which was homegrown in China, and uh, there's a big crackdown on it. It's mm. kind of uncontrolled spread in no. China. Right. No. Uh, that's and that is followed by uh, about a year and a half later by the first cases of Falun Gong in captivity being actually looked at for their organs. All right. 
Right. And that is how the story starts. And after that, you get a, uh, we get into the middle period, which is the sort of a massive ramping up of the... So this, uh, so this transplant facilities in right, China. Right. So this mid, middle f- period that you're referring to is, is is this the recent last couple of years? Is that what we're referring to? No, we're really the middle period is uh, what I'd say from about you know 2001 to 2015 or so. Wow. Wow. And, and, and unfortunately, yeah. there's a tremendous. Uh, we don't have exact numbers, of course, mm. on any of this. I mean, yeah. this is a. But I would estimate, you know, it's a, it's on the level of the <laughs> Syrian civil war. The amount of people who've been harvested for their organs, it's quite a phenomenal number. It's so a, sorry, what was that? It's on, it's, it's on the level of what? What was that last comment? The Syrian civil war. Wow. Uh, which is the other big tragedy that we've seen in this yeah. century. Yeah. Uh, which involved hundreds of thousands of people, mm. and this is the same thing. These people wow, do not. They're not missing a single ki- single kidney. This yeah. isn't a kidney in the bathtub story. It's a they take every organ, as far as we can tell. Wow, wow, right. So, so let, let me come back to you, Ethan. Thank you very much for for enlightening us with with, with that background. Uh, let me go go to Mehmet uh, Tohti, uh, who's the co-founder of the of the World Urge Congress. Uh, Mehmet, uh, as uh, earlier comments from from Ethan, so this is now of course impacting that. East Turkmenistan area region, right, and and these concentration camps, as some people, as some commentators have labelled them, uh, where the, you know this huge amount of Uyghur community have been imprisoned. Uh, what what what, is, what do you know, and what 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 are the stories coming out from that re- from that area that that you're aware of, uh, Mehmet? Uh, okay, assalamu alaikum. First of all, Jamal Mubarak. Well, Jamal Mubarak. Uh, let me crack. It is not East Turkmenistan. It is East Turkestan. Right. Uh, uh, What we know or what we now uh, are talking about is the tiny drop in the ocean Mm. because of the the tight control of the information by the Chinese government. And thanks to Ethan and his colleagues uh, over the decades working very hard in the uh, documented number of cases and even published a book. And uh, organ harvesting is a long story that ignored by the world community, mm. specifically when it comes to Uyghurs. Mm. And because uh, in, uh, since a couple of years, three years, the massive internment of more than three million Uyghurs in concentration camps. Yeah. And after Chinese government... Uh, collectively conducted DNA sequencing, blood sample examination, collection, and all sorts of things, and the international community uh, began to uh, give their attention to this atrocity. So uh, now, uh, what uh, we know about is uh, the major airports in East Turkestan, just like Kashgar and Urumqi, there is specifically designated lane for organ live organ transportation. It is clearly written in Chinese and the Uyghur language, and sometimes even English as well. And also, uh, so sorry, uh, Mehmet, what, what is written on the airports? It, it, uh, it, it actually says live organ transplant lane. It's like a, a fast lane. Yeah. Uh, 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 it's like a VIP lane, so you can speed yeah. the organs through. Wow. 
uh, on the major airports like Kashgar, Rumsi, or Hotem, it is very common, and uh, there are specific lanes for organ transportation just wow. to uh, speed up or prevent other people's inter intervention. There is specific designated lane already established, so it is very common. Yeah. And most importantly, the Chinese government transferred more than half a million Uyghur males and some females from the age of 20 to the 45 to mainland China and scattered them all prisoners across China. And those Uyghurs are now the first-hand victim of organ harvesting because this transfer is done uh, in absolute secrecy and there is no information revealed and some uh, journalists by calling the prisons in mainland China, they confirmed that there are a large number of Uyghur prisoners transferred over the years. Yeah. And so, because those Uyghurs are transferred in absolute secrecy, and yeah. it is very possible that Chinese government using them as a live organ harvest. Right, right. Also, okay. recently, uh, I did not personally confirm it, and that there is a huge advertisement campaign going on no, no. targeting the Middle East. So Basically saying that halal organs available. Right, right. Thanks, thanks for that. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. I've got about three minutes. But I mean, gentlemen, I mean, what you're describing is is absolutely a tragedy and, and, and it's horrific in terms of what, what's been described. So, of course, the, it seems that there is now some attention, some media attention that's been drawn towards it. What's actually been done about it, Ethan, right? I, I, I know your, your book here. Very, the, the, very little. Right. Uh, you know, my colleague's absolutely right. The Uyghurs are absolutely the new source. Mm. Uh, the fact that about 15 million Uyghurs have been blood tested uh, in, a, in a manner uh, that can be used for tissue matching yeah. or organs. But 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 Ethan, yeah, this Ethan, is, this uh, is gone to science fiction. It's no, no, it's, I, 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 I hear that. But this is now going to the United Nations Human Rights Council. That, well, that, is that, that won't do a, a very little because, uh, as you know, China has tremendous influence over yeah. the UN. Yeah. But uh, I do. I am optimistic about something that can be done. Right. This really comes down to the medical community. They right. hold the big cards in this right. table. Right. Okay. Right. And the fact is that the medical community comes out and and instead of trying to make a deal with China, says, that's it, we can't have any more contact with you, none of your transplant surgeons can come to our conferences, you can't uh, study in our universities, you can't study right. surgery. Uh, if we do that, hmm. if, if the, the, the medical world of the West does that, believe me, China will uh, turn quickly because right. that is a pillar industry for them. Right. Uh, so that's what needs to happen, and I mm. urge everyone listening, if you can hear my voice right now, please just bring this up with your doctor. I don't care if it's your dentist or your physical therapist. Mm. Bring it up. Right. This is something that has to happen on the grassroots. Every right. doctor in this country needs to know, why are people asking about this? Maybe I need to read something about it. Mm. Mm. All right. Okay, Ethan. All right. Canadian Medical yeah. Association, U.S. Medical Association, and the U.K. Medical Association, uh, they are working together to issue a joint statement. Right. Just not only condemn the Chinese practice, at the same time, uh, just disassociate them from the Chinese uh, medical uh, hospitals that yeah. practice on organ harvesting. Right. And so, also, I would like to bring because yeah, uh, very, very quickly, Mehmet, we're running out of time. You got about thirty okay. seconds. 
Okay, uh, the Turkish government is backed, backed by the most majority Muslim countries. The yeah. Muslim countries now are supporting the China. And so, we are, as a Muslim, we have to speak up and we have to send our message clear and loudly to Muslim countries and right. uh, let them not be part of this human tragedy. All right. Thank you very much on that note, Mehmet. I, I, I will pick up this conversation and continue it in, into the next hour for a couple of minutes at least. But unfortunately, we, we, we are forced to go into a commercial break in, in about 30 seconds time. Uh, Mehmet Toti and Ethan Gutman, thank you very much for joining us this evening and, and, and enlightening no us and ed educating us on a very important subject matter. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, listeners, that was... Uh, that was very disturbing, very, very disturbing in terms of what I was hearing from Mehmet Toti and uh, Ethan Gutman. Uh, and, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll kind of summarize it when I come back and let me just pull, pull some thoughts together because that was horrific. Live human organ harvesting from 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 Muslims, right? The Chinese doing this from Muslims, and 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 it's probably just a fraction of what is actually going on in reality. Let's let's discuss this. Let's come back to it when we come back from a commercial break. This is Hafiz Shab on Friday Night Live on Luton 105.1 FM. We're about to go into commercial break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. And until then, Assalamualaikum. So lost, searching for purpose. My soul felt so worthless. No, oh, 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 oh. I felt so lost. I know that He's there. I know that He cares about me. Searching for love So I can know my purpose On this earth I feel so lost I feel so damn lost And what have I done To think that I'm worthy for mercy I'm begging you please yada Be more open. I tell you how I was so broken. I'm searching for something, but I don't know what it is that I can put on my hope. I'm rolling around in this ocean. I'm about to drown. You can see it in my eyes. I'm done with this life, these egos and lies. Oh, I'm about to fly away and leave this all behind. All the pain before the sun comes to rain. What you crying for? What you crying for? I know it's worth all the pain before the sun comes to rain. Why you crying for? 
What are you crying for? But I'm still searching for love So I can know my purpose on this earth I feel so lost I feel so damn lost And what have I done To think that I'm worthy for mercy I'm begging you So broken, I'm searching for something, but I don't know what it is that I can put all my hope in. I'm rolling around in this ocean, and I'm about to drown. You can see it in my eyes. I'm done with this life, these egos and lies. Oh, I'm about to fly away and leave this all behind. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban, this Friday evening on the 4th of October. 2019 broadcasting live as usual on Inspire FM 105.1 FM and also to our sister stations uh, live Facebook stream on the Inspire FM Facebook page in addition to live broadcast via the Inspire FM app. One hour is already over of the show, a very passionate conversations uh, for the last hour with a number of different panelists, experts. Uh, initially discussing uh, the speech of Imran Khan at the United Nations last Friday and then also discussing a very, very, what I'm going to label as a very disturbing story, unfortunately. And that was with regards to the China, uh, with regards to China harvesting organs from minorities. I mean, that that's very disturbing, right? Uh, and, and that's just a fraction of information that's ar- arrived in the public domain. Uh, what's actually happening, uh, not known to the public, right, and not in the public domain is incredibly unfathomable right uh, but again uh, you know I want to reach out to my listeners 0158241822 and the question I want to ask my listeners is that this is going again back to the United Nations now I asked this question because you know last week someone told me that I was being too pessimistic when it comes to the United Nations but you know I asked this very same question to Ethan Gutman who's the author of The Slaughter co-founder of the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. And the question I asked him, well, what can we do with regards to China? Well, it's going to the United Nations, right? And maybe that's a glimmer of hope. And again, very pessimistic because China has the rights of veto within the United Nations. And it can, of course, just veto anything that is brought, you know, brought into the United Nations, you know, trying to condemn, trying to, uh, you know, attack or trying to, you know, uh, highlight any particular issue against China. It's a bit of a 
bit of an, an institution that's been set up by people who want to use and abuse it by the sounds of it. But that's my thoughts. That's my opinions. I want to hear your thoughts and your opinions. 01582481822 is the number here in the studio. 0779481822 for your social media messages. Do get your messages in to me uh, because I want to hear what you think and what you make of what we've been discussing until now. Right, we're going to move on to our next story this evening. We're going to move on to a, a, a slightly, well, pos possibly a slightly positive story. And that's an interesting piece of news. Now, I don't know if a lot of our listeners are aware and are familiar with this piece of news, right? And that is the piece of news which actually in involves uh, and is of interest to a lot of our listeners, if not all of our listeners, and that's with with regards to Saudi Arabia. You might want to hear out, you might want to listen out for, for this uh, piece of news. Uh, and that's uh, Saudi Arabia recently announced that it's going to start issuing tourism visas. That's right, you've heard me correct, tourism visas, Saudi Arabia. Now, that's not a kind of a, a holiday destination a lot of people would have thought of. Saudi Arabia. I mean, what's in Saudi Arabia? Of course, it's got the it's got a huge amount of interest for uh, businesses and for people who want to conduct business. And of course, a lot of people go out there for for business. And of course, as for the Muslim community will know, a lot of Muslims go out to Saudi for the religious pilgrimage to uh, to the Haram. Uh, but it's opening up now tourism visas, and a, a lot of you may have heard. But recently, a number of fights have been announced, uh, and 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 they are to be hosted in Saudi. And this is a beginning. Uh, this is a beginning uh, as part of a, a bigger scheme that's you know, that's been planned out there. But let me speak to some experts. Let me stop talking and let me speak to some experts. Let me go to. Uh, we've got a lot of interference there, but let me let me try to go to uh, Lauren Keefe, who's a, who's an author, or a guidebook uh, author, travel writer, editor, and consultant. Lauren, uh, welcome to Friday Night Live, and thank you very much for giving us your precious time this Friday evening. Tell us, uh, Lauren, what, what what's happening here with Saudi and 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 its start to issuing tourism visas. Yeah, it's a really exciting time for Saudi Arabia. This is the first time that they've issued tourist visas that are available to casual travelers for the first time in the country's history. Um, Saudi Arabia has notoriously been one of the most difficult countries for mm. non-Muslims to enter yeah. um, because previously visas were only available for pilgrims or for people who were coming um, on, for business reasons, so we're sponsored by a Saudi yeah. business within the country. So yeah. this is really the first time that uh, casual tourists have had the chance to explore the country. Right, wow. Okay, interesting. We, we've also got Dr. Asim Safdar, who's an ex-Lutonian, Lutonian, so, so someone who's very close to home from where we're broadcasting, currently lives and works in Saudi Arabia. I think we've got Dr. Asim also on, uh, online. So, uh, Dr. Asim, assalamu alaikum. Welcome, Salam. Yes, how are you now? Yeah, nice fantastic. Uh, very well. Thank you very much for joining us this evening, uh, Dr. Asim, on Friday Night Live. Uh, uh, tell us, tell us also for, from your, from your perspective. It, it means, uh, as as Lauren was saying earlier, it, it's always been a nightmare trying to go to Saudi uh, unless you want to go through this uh, the formal route of getting a pilgrimage uh, a visa. Uh, uh, what, what's your understanding, Dr. Asim, of, of the tourism visa, and has it already started? And is is this about to make life a lot easier for us to travel into Saudi? Yes, they have. Uh, we heard about it on local kind of you know WhatsApp or social media. Yeah. Uh, a lot of um, fellow co colleagues are kind of talking about it. Yeah. Uh, the fact that it's a lot cheaper than uh, earlier to bring your uh, people like your family out to come and visit you. So obviously the good thing now is there's less restriction now. Previously, I think you had to 
if you wanted to go to Makkah Medina, you had to spend a minimum of 15 days there, and then you're only allowed out uh, to visit other areas of the country. And you know, if yeah. you were caught, um, you know, breaking the rules, it could be penalty. So, Alhamdulillah, it's good that they've relaxed that, and now yeah. uh, it's also a lot cheaper. So it's a lot easier to bring up family and friends to to come and visit, and they don't have right. to be directly related to you. Mm, mm. Okay, that, that, that's interesting. Uh, and Lauren, have you actually looked into the guidelines that have been issued? Is it, is, it, uh, is it as easy as going online and applying for this tourism visa, or is there still some, uh, some uh, bureaucracy attached to this process? Uh, it's actually pretty easy. It's just an online application. At the moment, it's open to 49 countries, um, but that covers... Um, all of Europe, the U.S., Canada, China, Japan, Australia, New Zealand. Um, and the thought is, is that it will open up to more countries as time goes on. Um, mm. But the tourist visas are available to other nationalities. It's just a matter of going into a Saudi embassy. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so, sounds interesting. It sounds it sounds easy. I think this is this is uh, music to the ears of a lot of our listeners. Like like uh, Dr. Asim is, is suggesting earlier. Uh, personally, I've lived out in that region, and I know if you if you want your family or friends to visit, it's all it's it's a huge nightmare. Does that Asim, Dr. Asim, does that now mean that I could then potentially just go online to I don't know the Saudi consulate website or whatever it may be, and uh, you know obviously do a bit of due diligence and, and fill in a couple of forms and and lo behold i've been issued a, a tourist yeah, visa which yeah, allows you almost yeah, 30, your 90 days i, I think yeah. it allows you 90 days out in in saudi now yeah now 90 days is allowed to in your kind of visit period and uh, uh i think the period uh, to do the application online is just seven minutes um if you look on the uh, e-visa website and uh, as lauren mentioned it's obviously you know, all of europe it's only open to western countries now i think there's three yeah. muslim countries including brunei and Malaysia, but I'm sure very quickly it's going to be rolled out to other nationalities. Wow! So, so uh, it's I, I, a very I, I big part wanna... of this uh, Vision 2030 yeah. uh, plan that the uh, the government has here to right. try and bring people in. And obviously, there's a lot of things to explore other than Makkah and Medina here. Yeah, I'm going to come on to that and I'm going to ask that question to Lauren. But I just want to repeat that for our listeners who may not quite believe what they're hearing, right? Uh, so, so, <laughs> so, so, so so, this is, what, what, what we're actually saying is, I, I mean, trust me, you know, I've, I've lived out in that region. When you're talking about a visa, yeah. it's a huge nightmare, right? So now to say you can actually go onto an e-visa website, fill in an application form, and in almost 10 minutes time, right, you have, you know, uh, you know at least a process complete for an application form to get an e-visa to visit Saudi and, and be allowed to go out in Saudi for almost 90 days, three months. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I'm sure mm. a lot of people are probably not privy to that. I think that information hasn't quite got out there. Otherwise, there would have been a huge surge. Previously, you know, of course, we were quite, we, we, you know, even the Muslim community was 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 crippled and handicapped to be dependent upon a, a travel agent to all do, do all of that process yeah. for them. And then the charges yeah. and then the administrative charges and, 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 and so on and so forth. Everyone's Absolutely. making making a, a money out of it. Right. But let me go back to Lauren. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of people might be asking questions. I mean, what is there to see in Saudi apart from, you know, the holy sites? Right. And, and that's what people go out there. I mean, Lauren. I mean, you write, you're an author, you're a guidebook, you know, a travel writer, editor, consultant. Is there much to see in, in a wider Saudi than, uh, than the, the, the sites, the sacred sites in, in terms of in Mecca and Medina? There's so much to see. It's actually easy to forget how big of a country it is. Saudi Arabia is nine times the size of the UK. Yeah. It has almost 2,000 kilometers of coastline along the Red Sea. There is so much to do there. Uh, one of my favorite cities when I visited was Jeddah. 
There's just there's beautiful architecture, especially in the historic part of the city. Jeddah? Um, did you say Jeddah? Jeddah, yes. All right. Wow. Uh, okay. it, just, it feels like it's so vibrant, and there's just so much life there and so much going on. Yeah. Um, the Red Sea coast at the moment is pretty undeveloped, but that is supposed to be changing in the next few years. There's lots of big, big projects going on. Mm. Um, one called the Red Sea Project. Another one called Neom that is supposed to bring in a lot of resorts. Yeah. Um, put some of those on the Red Sea Islands and also kind of make a cross-border region with Egypt and Jordan as well. Mm. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that, but there is so much to do outside of the holy cities. Yeah, wow. Uh, and Dr. Awesome, I mean, from 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 your perspective, I mean, from a, a kind of a a pilgrim perspective, right? Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people that always wanted to go and travel around Saudi, go and see the Islamic history, go and see some of the the early you know points and places, you know, very historical places, you know, Badr and and, and some of the other you know places that people wanted to see. Is that area of tourism also going to be developed? Do you know if that, that that's in the pipeline? Because historically, that's been very developed and, and the Saudi authorities haven't really paid much attention to those areas yeah no I think it's uh, definitely something that everyone's becoming a lot more aware of mm. certainly it's something that you know, myself and my family would like to explore well, I think on the actual Saudi visa website there is like Al Hassa which is just an hour's drive actually from me um, and I, I'm living in eastern Saudi Arabia in the uh, the Mam Dahran area right and there's a lot of um, of course, we're able to drive over to Bahrain and obviously things like Qatar and um, UAE and all the places are available. But we can look and explore in Saudi Arabia, you know, south of Saudi Arabia, Abha. There's some very, very nice things and um, the weather's a lot cooler time of year. So that's supposed to be a very nice and scenic place. The Mari, Pakistan, the sea. There is yeah. that and also. The line's very bad, so so we're getting we're kind of getting you intermittently. Uh, I, I I don't know if if the producers can do something to to make the line a, 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 any better at all. Uh, but let, let's give it one more try. Uh, if you do, you want to continue talk uh, talking? Let's see if it's, it's any better. A little bit better now. No, no, it, the, the lines is is not very clear. I, I think let's get the producers to to try try again uh, contacting you and maybe we can see if it's any better. Uh, Lord Lauren, whilst we try some of the uh, resolve some of the technical issues with uh, Dr. Asim, uh, you, you were mentioning earlier with regards to some of the places to visit uh, and and you've mentioned a number of them. I mean, this initiative to to try to now open up uh, Saudi to to tourists. It hasn't been an easy decision, and it's almost it's almost been forced upon Saudi due to a lot of other issues that they've had internally. I mean, the oil prices have plummeted. Uh, you know, revenue they have to look to diversify in terms of streams of revenue, and of course, tourism was one of those areas which was an easy pick. I mean, it's not been an easy ride, has it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, once once oil prices were starting to plummet. Um, the government put together Vision 2030, which was mentioned previously, and tourism has always been a cornerstone of that. Mm. So some people seem to be surprised that the tourism visa has come now, but mm. that's actually been in the works for a number of years and has was promised in 2017, yeah. was promised in 2018, but now it's finally a reality. All right, fantastic. All right, so we're, uh, I, I don't know if you if you know that some of the technical uh, details around it, but I'm getting some questions online with regards to the 
the visa I, I unfortunately can't navigate to it for some reason uh, so i'm having problems navigating to the to the question itself but okay okay fine so that's good i mean of course that there is the upcoming uh a uh, big fight in December, which is happening in uh, in in Jeddah, is it in Riyadh? Do, do you know the AJ fight? Um, I'm not 100 percent sure. I know there's going to be a festival taking place in Riyadh. I think in the next couple of months, and then again there will be Jeddah season. I think uh, starting in December and running until February. Right, right. Okay. I mean, I mean, the the question from one of our listeners is: Does the visa include entry to Mecca and Medina? Right. Uh, I, I don't know if you if you have the technical answer to that question. Um. It. Mecca and Medina will still be off limits to non-Muslims, so the visa yeah. doesn't really have anything to do with that. If you're a non-Muslim, you will yeah. not be able to go. Yeah, so, but but let's say I'm 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 a Muslim and I and I and I opt for the tourist visa as opposed to a pilgrim visa, right? Uh, does I, I assume I'm assuming or are there any restrictions on a tourist visa that no you can't go to Mecca Medina? You ha actually have to have a pilgrim visa to be able to make the Umrah. I don't know if you would know that distinction or not. Um, if you're making Umrah, I think you do have to have the specific Umrah visa, but right. I'm not 100% sure. Right, right. I, I think we've, we've got Dr. Asim uh, back online. Uh, Dr. Asim, uh, can, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I can. I hope you can hear me now. Uh, yep, I, I, I can hear you, Dr. I'm Asim. just in a mall. It's Friday night here. So uh, season and <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, okay. that's why there's a little bit of announcement going on. Uh, okay, all right, fair enough. Uh, Dr. a quick question for you. Uh, do, I, I don't know to what extent you've looked into uh, the tourism visa and how that d d is distinct from, uh, let's say, the, the, the Umrah visa, right? So, I mean, if, if someone gets a tourist visa, can he, any restrictions on him to go and make the, uh, perform the, the Umrah? I'm not exactly like, as Lauren right. said, they haven't made that aspect clear. Yeah. So, um, I would have suspected as long as you're, yeah. I guess they kind of, uh, you know, look and ask, if you look and down like a Muslim name, yeah. uh, I assume that that would be included in there. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I guess there's more clarification needed on that. All right. That, that's fine. I mean, to, to our listeners who are asking those questions, I would say go on to the websites and, and, and uh, you know, do, do a bit of due diligence and get that clarified. But I can tell you from first-hand experience, I mean, I've been out to Saudi a number of times on business visa. Uh, and when I do business visa, I'm, I'm in Jeddah. I always go and make Umrah in, in Mecca and no one's ever stopped me yeah. uh, right so so uh, yeah. so I, I would assume that it would probably be okay uh, you know that if you have that but but do tech check that for technical issues and any restrictions that may apply with with a tourist visa right so it's an early uh, early you know implementation uh, so so am I right in saying that it's now live that the, the the tourist visa is now live and yes, that's something it that is. Oh, it has fantastic. Started, uh, went live from the 28th last week Oh, I went live on the 28th. And, and uh, do, do you know anyone personally, Dr. Asim, that's actually gone ahead and applied and, and successfully got the, the got the visa? Uh, not as yet, no. I right. think it just needs a little bit more uh, publicity like you're doing now. Yeah. Uh, for people to find out, but I'm sure slowly the word will get around. Right, right. And, and Lauren, you said you've, you've visited. Is, is it recently that you visited uh, the Saudi uh, during this kind of initiative uh, that's been going on, or is it a historical reference? No, it was actually at the beginning of September. Uh, I was there for about 10 days. And yeah. then there was also a big launch event for the visa in Riyadh on the 27th. So I went back to attend that. Oh, fantastic. So how, how are you finding uh, uh, your travel to, to Saudi? I, I don't know if this was your first travel or you've traveled there previously. What were your experiences like? No, this was my first time there. It was absolutely incredible. I didn't 100% know what to expect. So I went with an open mind and I was really amazed by everything that i saw the people were incredibly friendly it was it was a really brilliant time
Ah, oh, fantastic. That's some good, some good publicity there uh, from you, Lauren. Thank you very much. And, and Dr. Asim, yourself, I mean, you're traveling around, you're living in Saudi. What kind of changes are you, are you seeing? I mean, the, the, the fact that this is now going to make it a lot easier is going to mean that, I mean, Saudi is, at least the, the, the few of the cities are very cosmopolitan anyway, but I guess it's going to be a lot more cosmopolitan than it's ever been before. Yeah, no, I think there's a, a huge number of changes coming in uh, with the Vision 2030 project. Mm. Um, I think Saudi in general is opening up a huge amount. Uh, obviously, they're sort of looking to what happened in think places like UAE and Dubai, mm. and they're realizing that we, look, we need to kind of start uh, making a lot more money from tourism yeah. and obviously, you know, cut the dependency on oil. So um, I think you're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff. And, and, and the people are very welcoming, very generous, and they're... Uh, you know, very hospitable to guests, and I'm sure, like Lauren said, uh, the people that come here, inshallah, will have a very good experience. I've been traveling, obviously, to Mecca, Medina, Riyadh, yeah. um, uh, the, uh, in the east side, across to Bahrain, and you know, generally they're very friendly. They've got a very good sense of humor, and yeah. they're, they're very hospitable and generous. Yeah, Doctor. And in fact, a lot of them speak yeah. English. And now, yeah. now, ladies are driving, yeah. and you know, a lot of people, a lot of young generation, have studied abroad, yeah. and you know, they're uh, a lot more open and. Uh, uh, understanding of you know people from cultures around the world. All right. So, Doctor Asim, you're living out there. You, you, surely you're going to be able to answer my next question, which is, how do I get a ticket to come out in December and watch that AJ fight? <laughs> uh, well, the tickets are all usually these things they sell out very quickly online. I heard the Amir Khan fight was very well uh, uh, received, and now they've got things like Wizard of Oz plays on actually this week here in the. Uh, Wow. Ithra Center in the the mom, no. and um, there's lots and lots of these kind of plays and outside things. I never thought I'd hear of Wizard of Oz happening here, yeah. but um, now they had that. The first cinemas open here in the mom, right, right close to where I'm uh, I'm visiting a mall now, yeah. and there's more and more of these opening up as well. Okay, all right, great. Uh, I, I, it's all I, online here. Everything's online. <laughs> everything, everything's online. Uh, Lauren, I, I don't know if you can answer that question and, and tell a lot of our listeners who are quite keen, uh, kind of a, a mixed martial arts and a, and a, and a boxing uh, fan club here in, in, in Luton. And I'm sure there'll be quite a few people interested in, in coming out there and if, if and to watch that, that big fight in, uh, in early December. Yeah, it'll be easy to go. It's as simple yeah. as booking a ticket and getting yeah. a visa now. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Dr. Asim, I mean, you, you said you're living on the eastern side. I mean, is, is t- tell us a bit. About, you know, people who are probably not familiar with with Saudi as 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 a whole, apart from Makkah, Medina, as I was saying earlier. I mean, in terms of uh, other main cities, you know, that that are out there for for people to potentially visit. What, what would they include? What 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 some of the areas that you would recommend for for people to visit? Well, there's a place called Al-Hafa here, which has some very old historic uh, caves and, and, and sites around here. Obviously, the Mam is a very kind of bustling hub. It's the third biggest uh, city where Khobar and the Mam kind of joined together. Yeah. Uh, like Luton and Dunstable, if you like, but a lot right. bigger. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's loads of restaurants, there's food of all varieties. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of good shopping as well available here. Right, fantastic. Okay, uh, Lauren, uh, last final notes for, from yourself. Uh, a key, key, key highlights for you for, for for people listening who are probably considering potentially a next holiday in Saudi. Apart from what what you've said earlier, and I know you you emphasize the Red Sea resorts or at least the coastline, two thousand kilometers of it. I, th- I think you you said earlier. Yeah. Um, my, I can't believe I didn't mention it earlier, but the absolute favorite thing that I saw in Saudi Arabia is the archaeological site called Madain Salah. 
It's the sister city of Petra. It was built by the same ancient civilization, but, you know, there Mm. haven't been that many tourists. You know, Petra is approaching almost one million visitors each year, but the sites in Saudi Arabia obviously have seen much fewer, but it still has the beautiful um, tombs that are carved directly into the faces of the mountains. It's just a really magical and mysterious site, and it's really worth visiting. And the town nearby called Aula also has a few archaeological sites within it, and it's just a really, really fun place to be. So, so uh, uh, Lauren, sorry, can you just repeat the name of the, of the place? You said Petra, uh, <coughs> twin sister of Petra. The name of the site is called Marain Salah or Hegra. Okay, Marain Salah. And is, is it really as... Uh, as uh, as uh, his, uh, historical and as, as as beautiful as Petra is, I mean, I think Petra will, you know, be known to a lot of our listeners because of its, uh, uh, you know, because of the fact that it's been in, in in a lot of the mainstream movies in the past. Yeah, it, it, Hegra really deserves more attention. It doesn't oh, really? have quite the same um, canyons as Petra does, so you oh, can yeah. kind of wander through this narrow. Um, this narrow slot canyon to see the treasury, but yeah. the tombs are just immaculate. And I would say that they're actually in better condition than the ones at Petra because Petra has had yeah. so many visitors and yeah. um, they're just, the ones at Hegra seem less eroded by the weather and yeah. just generally less seen by people. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Lauren Keefe uh, and uh, Dr. Asim Safter, thank you very much for joining us this evening and, and enlightening us uh, with uh, the, the tourism uh, information on Saudi Arabia. Thank you very much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Thank Lauren. you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Asim. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum. Right, listen, that was, a, that was a very interesting piece of information, right? So, uh, and, and I was serious when I was saying, you know, uh, let me repeat that to our listeners because I think a lot of our listeners might not be aware of this, right? Saudi Arabia has started to issue tourism visas, right? You know, just like you can go out on a holiday to, to any tourist destination, whether it's Europe, of course, Europe, you don't need a visa or whether it's any other country in the world, Egypt, or Gulf or Malaysia and Indonesia you can now actually go on the website and you were hearing that from these individuals you can go on the website Saudi website I don't know what it is but but just google it e-visa website apply for a Saudi tourist visa and you could have a visa to go to Saudi and spend 90 days in Saudi wow that's incredible incredible stuff because historically you couldn't spend more than a couple of weeks a maximum a month and that's if you wanted to go to Hajj or Umrah and now you'll be able to go see all of those beautiful cities of uh, of Saudi where all of that Islamic history remains. Wow, wow, wow. Inshallah ta'ala. I want to take up that opportunity at the soonest available opportunity. And I hope a lot of our listeners will do also, inshallah ta'ala. Right, folks, we are coming to the last half an hour of the show. Last half an hour of the show, inshallah ta'ala. And we're about to go into a commercial break. So when I come back from the commercial break, I'll do a quick summary of what we have been discussing this evening. And we're going to be discussing another serious subject matter, and that is the National Homelessness Week, right? I want your attention for this subject matter, National Homelessness Week. We want to discuss what's happening and understand what's happening and what we can do to help, right? So don't go away, folks. Stay tuned. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Until then, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM.
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Welcome back to Friday Night Live for what is the last portion, last half an hour of uh, this evening's show and wow, the last hour and a half have just you know, flown by so, so quickly. It is the Friday 4th of October, it's, it is 1930 uh, and uh, you know, and it's uh, you know, great to be here in the studio discussing a whole host of subject matters. We have been discussing and uh, sharing thoughts and opinions on the Imran Khan's speech last Friday in the United Nations. Uh, thanks for all of you who called, left in, uh, left your messages 01582481822 We moved on from the discussion on Imran Khan to discussing a rather disturbing story and that was China. China in the sub, China in the headlines again. China is in off, is in is in the headlines for a lot of reasons at the moment. A lot of them seem to be negative. Uh, in this particular case, China is harvesting organs from minorities, right, including the Uyghur Muslims. Activists told the United Nations we had a number of uh, experts discussing what's been going on and the transplant abuse that's happening in China. Now, transplant abuse is a huge business. A huge business in a lot of areas of the world India uh, China uh, and other Asian countries okay and China seems to be right at the forefront of it and especially you know after it has set up these concentration camps in East China and where a lot of the victims are the Uyghur Muslims right so, uh, you know, you, we, we need to familiarize ourselves with what's going on and, uh, and I would recommend our listeners to read into that uh, last half an hour I've been discussing a very positive subject or a very positive subject for for some of the reasons at least anyway and that Saudi Arabia has started to issue tourism visas right so this is something that was totally 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 unheard of in the past it was a huge nightmare if you ever wanted to go to Saudi right unless you wanted to go over Umrah or Hajj and you would of course conduct or you would secure a visa through the travel agents but now you can actually go and visit Saudi with a tourist visa and it's apparently very very easy to get a tourist visa so if you've already tried if you're already familiar with the process and you've gone through that process Tell me about it. Tell our listeners about it. 01582481822. 01582481822. Or SMS or WhatsApp me on 0779. 0779481822. Right, so those are some of the stories that we have been covering for the last hour and a half. My last half an hour is going to be covering an, a, a quite, a, quite a, a serious subject matter, right? So we, we, we're accustomed to covering a lot of serious subject matters on Friday Night Live, right? We're going to address these subject matters. We're going to address these subjects. We're going to address these issues. And we're going to be raising them and discussing them with our community, A, to inform them, to make them an informed community so they know what's going on around them. I think that's a principal reason why we discuss them. And, and, and a secondary reason is to then, you know, get some action out of the community. Get some action from our listeners, right? We're not a, we're not, we're not a community that likes to listen. We're a community that likes to be informed and then likes to translate that into action and I think that's what is required for our next subject matter because the next subject matter you know which I'm not very familiar with too and I'm hoping that our guest tonight is going to you know make me a bit more educated about this subject matter and also make 
our listeners a lot more educated about this particular subject matter, but definitely we want some action is the National Homelessness Week, right? National Homelessness Week. This is what the producers have given me as a subject to discuss uh, for the last half an hour of the show. And I'm being told it's between the 7th and the 13th of October, right? So I've got a, a guest with me, and, and unfortunately, I haven't even been given a lot of detail with regards to the guest this evening. I'm being told is Tabras, and I'm hoping I've pronounced the name correctly. Let me welcome Tabras to the show. Tabras, have I got your name correct? Uh, but yes, firstly, first have. and yes, foremost, yes, welcome to Friday Night Live this evening. Yes, hello, good evening. Yes, first of all, yes, you got my name right, right, and uh, so thank you for having me on the show. Uh, uh, brilliant, great. That's always good to get you to start off with a positive note by getting the name right of our of our guest. So, Tabras, t- t- tell me, how, how are you, because I don't have any um, any background about you here in front of me, how are you linked and associated with the National Homelessness Week? Okay, so, so basically, uh, you might know that the 10th of October is World Homeless Day. Yes. Um, and it's also World Mental Health Day as well. So the organization I work for is called Asafa Outreach, and one of our projects is a homelessness support service, and we've been doing that um, across the UK for a number of years now. So our charity has actually launched National Homeless Awareness Week, which is the week this year from 7th of October to the 13th of October. Um, So the, the purpose of the week as you said before, is one to educate people re- regarding homelessness. Mm. It also to kind of encourage them with regards to what action they can take, mm. challenge their the conceptions um, or perceptions of, of homelessness, oh. and, and look at how they can make a difference and also how they can influence decision makers in their locality with regards to tackling an issue. Because all of us would have, you know, generally seen people on the street you know, on the way home from work, on the way yeah. to the gym, or, or when we are shopping. So rough sleeping with people on the street is something which we see more or less every day. Yeah. And, you know, as a community, we, we normally want to do something about it. Yeah. But can I ask you, okay, when I, when I use the word homeless, you know, with yourself, mm. what do you think? What do you think, you know, who, who, who's a homeless person or what is the definition yeah. of, of homelessness? All right, so, so that, that's a good question. And, I, and I'm glad that, you, you know, panelists has put a question back to me as the presenter, which, which is good. But that's a way of informing our listenership too, right? So, so homelessness for, for me is a person who doesn't have a shelter over his head and he doesn't have a home to go to at night to sleep in it. W- would that be a correct definition, okay. Deborah? Yes, so basically uh, it is. The definition is, is somebody who doesn't have a fixed abode. A fixed so abode, right. A person who is rough sleeping is yeah. homeless. Mm. A person who is sofa surfing mm. class is homeless. Right. A person who is living in a hostel is homeless. Okay. A person who is in temporary accommodation is also homeless. Right, right. There are actually 320,000 homeless people in the UK. Wow. Wow. Now, when you think of, uh, uh, you know, the UK, we're at the forefront of of a lot of things. We're quite proud of, as a nation, what we achieve and our our standard of living. Now, the fact we have that many homeless people in the Mm. UK Mm. um, is quite saddening. The the government released some stats on the 1st of October. In the past year, 768 people have died 
due to sleeping rough on the streets. Right. So, so Tabras, just, just give me a moment to, to breathe, right? Because a lot of information that you're sharing, valuable information, I want to digest it, right? And I want to just sure. put it into some piecemeal to, to get it out there to our listeners because a lot of that valuable information might have just gone through them, right? So we've got the National Homelessness Week that's coming up from the 7th to the 13th of October. Is that correct? That is correct. Right. And then you've got a, a World Homelessness Day also, which is 10th of October, did you say? Correct, yes. Right, 10th of October, right? And then you've just given us a definition of, of homelessness is someone who doesn't have a fixed abode, right? Which is very interesting, actually, because it's not quite the definition that I thought of, but that that, that, that does you know add a lot of clarity to, to that too, right? And then you've also then cited a, a figure for our listeners, 320,000 people who are homeless in the UK, correct? Correct. Right. Uh, and, and, and as a lot of our listeners will know, right, and, and, and as you said earlier, you know, a lot of us go into town, we, we, you know, we travel around and we, the number of people, right, you know, firstly, the, the, the food banks are on the rise, the austerity measures are still out there in, 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 in place, full place. And, and, and unfortunately, the number of people that we're seeing sleeping rough or we're seeing people, you know, asking for help on the streets or, or begging, you know, is, is 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 alarmingly increasing at least that's my perception of it is, is that what the what the statistics are also telling us Sabres? there has been an increase in rough sleepers yeah see nationally um obviously our organization is based in birmingham right so nationally there has been a two percent decrease right uh, in homeless figures right. uh, birmingham has seen a 50 percent increase right 50 percent increase Yes. And and then you cite 768 deaths that we've had. Uh, is is yes. did you say in that was due to year. in the past year? Uh, you know, people sleeping rough. Is that what you, what you said? Correct. Yeah. That that's incredible. These are official government figures. That, that, that is incredible because if it's official government figures, then you can expect, you know, almost 10 percent, you know, up, you know, uh, exactly, uh, an yeah. increment as opposed to a de- de- decrease on, on those numbers. That That's an incredible amount of, of, of people that have just died because of, you know, almost, you know, if I, if I can say the phrase needlessly. Yeah, it, it, it is a sad reality. It is yeah. definitely a sad reality, unfortunately. Mm. So something which we're doing as part of National Homeless Awareness Week mm. is we're actually going around to different cities and towns around the UK. Yeah. So, for example, on Monday, we are in Glasgow. So actually, the, the team is actually going to Glasgow. Mm. Uh, on Tuesday, we're in Bradford. Mm. We're then going to Manchester. Right. We're actually in, in London on Thursday. Right. Um, and but, then we're going to Cardiff, Brighton, and Birmingham. Right. But, so but out, out of all of these cities, Tabriz, right? So sorry, sorry, in interject there, right? Oh, you, you know, you, you would have a kind of a hot spot, right? Is the north more impacted? Is it the south? Is it London? You know, which is the the biggest kind of culprit city, or or where is this problem? You know, the worst. I, I said to you at the start, nationally, the figures are three hundred twenty thousand nationally. Yeah. Out of those 320,000, 170,000 are in London. Wow. Yeah, 170,000 in London. So you find more than half the whole population in London, Um, uh, which is why when we're in London, uh, we actually uh, we've got a store in Trafalgar Square during the daytime. And we're actually also going to Downing Street um, to present uh, some recommendations with regards to what can be done to prevent homelessness mm. and also help people out of the situation. Yeah. And then we've got a workshop in actually Wolf Forest uh, in, in the town hall mm. uh, on, on the 10th as well. Right. Uh, and that's more about 
you know, individuals finding out what they can do on a community level. Yeah. Um, because while it's good to educate people about homelessness and the causes of it, mm. really, what can we do as a society and as a community mm. to help, you know, take people out of crisis point? Mm. You know, you mentioned obviously food banks are on the rise. Uh, we also run food banks uh, around the UK. And I would say somebody who is actually using a food bank service is at risk of becoming homeless because they've, they, you know, there's definitely yeah. a crisis point there. Yeah. So how can we help, mm. you know, are one of the solutions to helping these people? And, and those are what we're discussing as part of these workshops with regards to, you know, trying to create local action. Mm, mm, fantastic. I, I mean, uh, you know, very, very interesting uh, pieces of information that, you know, Tabriz, you're, you're sharing with our listeners. Listeners, uh, this is Friday, just a reminder, this is Friday Night Live uh, and, and no show is uh, really, you know, complete without the contribution from our listeners. Uh, and, and that's what we always encourage, you know, your views, your thoughts, your questions to our panelists, our presenters, you know, to enliven uh, our conversations and our discussions 01582481822 is the number for your social media messages I want to hear your messages I want to see your messages come through please it is getting a lot colder out there a lot colder out there autumn is upon us winter will be upon us very very soon and this subject matter national homelessness week and homelessness uh, as as a general point is going to be a lot more pertinent you know reality for a lot of us if we're feeling cold you know living in you know nice homes then you can imagine what it's like you know sleeping rough on the streets right and uh, now you know you know Tabriz, you you've pointed and you've indicated towards community action you know so, you know and and people you know being aware and people you know turning to action you know before we turn to people and I, I I love and I'm a complete supporter of people helping you know and being champion of not only listening and, and informing but also action Tell me about the government and this capitalist, you know, you know, government, you know, that we've got in place in, 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 in Britain and, and in Europe at the moment. I see the figures for homelessness, for austerity measures, you know, for, you know, cuts in, in the welfare state, cuts in, you know, supporting these good institutions that help a lot of these issues. Right. You know, you know, being cut all the time. Right. And hence the, the increase in the in the food banks and the increase in the homelessness, etc., etc. Are we actually seeing, apart from rhetoric, any good action from the government at the moment to address, to address these issues? To try to be fair and balanced, yeah. there have been a number of flagship programs and announcements by the government. Mm. And you see, every area is different. But, uh, in the, you know, for example, in Birmingham, a lot of money has been channeled towards helping the homeless. Um, but the issue is, as you said, in austerity, other areas are affected. Mental health services have, have been cut. They're finding it harder to recruit mm. because those staff uh, are, you know, are better paid in the, in the private sector, work less hours in the private sector, etc. Et mm. So it's not just a simple problem. A lot, a lot of people think if you give a homeless person a roof over the head, yeah, it sorts the problem out. It doesn't. Because mm. if I ask you as an individual. Mm. You know, tell me about yourself or what makes you you. Mm. You will talk to you, tell me about your family, you know, kids, etc., your hobbies, your friends, you know, all those kind of things. The last thing you will mention is my, my flat or my house or my apartment. Mm. 
Yeah, you you don't really see that intrinsic part of you. So these uh, the the way of tackling the problem is you gotta look at it on a holistic level, mm. not just from an accommodation point of view. But there are things we can do by holding decision makers to account. Mm. You know, for example, one of the things people don't uh, don't think about is the number of families which are homeless. Mm. Families there are eighty families. So, you know, so not just a single person. Families which are homeless. There are eight, if you go on our website, the, the, all the stuff on there. So nhaw.co.uk. But the there are eighty three thousand um, families which are homeless. Eighty. Eighty three thousand. Eighty three thousand. Eighty three thousand families that are homeless. 80, yes. Mm. Wow, that's that's a so, staggering figure. It's a staggering figure, and for example, now if you actually look at how much social houses have been built um, by local authorities for rent, yeah, it's actually a very small number. You know, most of the families who are homeless are in temporary accommodation in bed and breakfasts yeah. for up to six to eight months. Yeah. Now, if if as a as a in your locality, if you were more informed with regards to what you know your local council is doing about it, you can actually challenge decision makers in a better way, mm. and it's about informing people, uh, you know, and arming them with the correct information so they can challenge the right people. Yeah. You know, for example, <laughs> in Birmingham, mm. um, the, the the authority has has built three thousand houses over the past few years. Mm. Which sounds fantastic, but if you ask the question, okay, out of these out of these three thousand, how many have been for, for social rent? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's almost zero. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It's a very small figure. So you've got to be armed with the right information yes. to hold your elected officials to account. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the reason we elect yeah. our MPs and councillors yeah. is to sort problems out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that that's a crucial point that you mentioned. I mean, you know, you know, earlier, uh, Tabriz, I, I was raising this question that the government and, and the authorities seem to be failing the people. And you said, you, OK, you've got to be fair and you've got to be representative. I mean, what are the practical things that they're actually doing to address this issue? Right. I mean, you know, for, for me, the list of problems all, only seems to continue uh, with, with, the, with with this you know, system, you know, and, you know, and, you know, austerity, well, uh, food bank, crime, single families. Universal credit, you know, you know, these are this is just a list of of, of all of these issues that we're having. What are the, the, some of the positive gest- gestures or positive actions steps that you've seen that are actually being taken by government to address this? See, some of the positive schemes are they, they they've looked at what's worked, uh, like there's a housing first scheme, right, which is operates in in, in quite a few cities uh, right. around the UK, right, um, and that's a scheme. Which is mainly aimed at more entrenched rough sleepers. Mm. So, they, so they're given accommodation and they're given intensive support. Right. Now that scheme, you know, uh, obviously it's fairly new. It's been running for probably about six months now, uh, yeah. properly. Yeah. Um, so it's early days. But so that you know, that scheme on its own is good. Um, but at the same time. Um, you've got to put other support mechanisms in place. You know, for example, once a person is housed, 
mm. in terms of helping them get back in social circles, you know, community yeah. groups. Yeah, it's, it's the full 360, it's the full 360, you know, degrees support that, that is, is required around them, right? So, so I, I, I get that. I mean, we, we're probably running out of time. We've got about four minutes left, right? So I want to come on to some practical things, right? So sure. National National Awareness Week, uh, Homelessness Week, 7th to the 13th of October. All right, so what, what are some of the activities that are going to be happening during this week? I think we've highlighted the problem well. We've given some okay. information to the people. We've shared that. You know, you know, practically, you know, A, what's going to be happening during this week? B, what can our community, you know, how, how can they you know, be, be involved, practically do something about it to support this? Perfect. Oh, cool. So essentially, if people go onto our website, which is www.nhaw.co.uk. N-A-H-W. N-H-A-W, so it's National Homeless Awareness Week. So right. N for November, H for Hotel, yeah. A for Alpha, W for Whiskey, right. .co.uk. Yeah. And if they go on the website, it tells you one the, the, the events we have planned in those seven cities. Right. So if if they if they live in those seven cities, obviously they can get involved. Uh, you know, come to the stall, go to the workshops. Uh, we're going to have feeds where we're actually directly engaging with homeless people. Right. Um, and if they're not part of those cities, there's actually a get involved button. So if they put the details in the get involved box, we actually will send them out a pack right. and almost kind of give them things they can do and almost a template of stuff they can do in their own locality. And we will support them as much as possible. So, uh, of course, this week we've had a number of organizations come to us saying, look, we're thinking about doing a project or we do a project, but there's these limitations, how can you help us? And us as a charity, we can support either if somebody wants to do something in the local area by, you know, putting the details in the, in the getting bold box on the website, we can, you know, have a conversation with them, you know, give them the literature, give them the template and support them as much as possible with regards to getting there. So it's not only limited to these seven cities. We want we want more stuff happening all around the UK. We always almost want to create this national conversation around homelessness and people to think me as an individual, what can I do right. to right. solve the problem? Yeah. Now, if you think about it, if you see somebody sleeping off on the street, does giving them a sleep bag and saying stay there solve the problem? Mm. Mm. I'm, 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 I'm on the website, right? Home, homelessawarenessweek.co.uk. Fantastic. Very simple. Gets the message across very clearly. Okay. But you asked, you know, we're running out of time, but very quickly, you just raised a, a rhetorical question there. I see someone homeless, sleeping rough on the street. You know, what, what's the type of conversation? Should, should I approach that individual, have a conversation with him? And what should that conversation be about? See, what homeless people will tell you is, they aren't treated as humans. People will see them until walk past them, mm. or they might hurl abuse at them. Mm. And a lot of them are missing their social interaction. Mm. Now, naturally, they're not going to tell a life story. You're a stranger, and yeah. you know why? Why would they? But if you, you know, sit, you know, have a conversation with them, how are you doing? How's your day been? Um, you know, um, try to have a normal conversation. And if you are thinking about what they might need, ask them. You know. You know what's working. What have you tried? I think the conversation is more important than anything else. Mm. Um, and it, you know, 
if as an individual you're not sure where to refer them to or what to do, obviously if you can get in touch with us, we can tell them in the locality who the, who the kind of support charities are. Yeah. Um, but it's about, you know, don't be afraid of talking to homeless people. Okay. If you feel it's safe to do so, do yeah. so. Yeah. And then once you start engaging, only then you'll find out more about the problem. Mm, fantastic. All right, Tabrez, on, on that note, thank you very much uh, for, for joining us, for giving us your time on this Friday thank evening. Uh, fantastic. Thank you very much for, for creating awareness amongst our listeners, amongst myself, about the National Homelessness Awareness uh, Week. Uh, and as you've said, you know, the, the website is there, and I will repeat that before the end of the show. Thank you very much for joining us this evening, and uh, have a lovely thank weekend. You. Thank, you, thank you very much, Tabrez. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, uh, folks, that was Tabrez from... Uh, National Homeless Awareness Week, right? Uh, creating awareness about a very important issue. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm on their website at the moment, and, and it's, it's a very useful website actually because you know what? It gives you some good facts and figures with regards to the reality of how many people are homeless, deaths due to homeless, etc. etc. Right? And subhanAllah, Islam emphasized this particular issue very, very strongly. You know, Umar ibn Khattab would say that you know he, would, he is worried with regards to an animal, an animal that may fall, hurt itself, or even die under the rule of Umar ibn Khattab. And here, I'm seeing figures on their website with regard to hundreds of people who are dying due to homelessness, right? Is that a a systematic failure of of the system or is that a problem that we have in all systems, right? Question for you to think about and go away with because unfortunately we are end of the time on subhanallah whenever i start this show i think wow i've got two hours to address so much and subhanallah the two hours go by so quickly and it's already the end of the show but you know one thing one small complaint i've got to my listeners is you know i don't hear as much from you as i would like to you know i would like to make the shows a lot more interactive more a lot more interpersonal a lot more you know two-way conversations as opposed to shaban speaking over the airwaves and my panelists so please do try to join in 0152 your next opportunity to join in will be next friday inshallah ta'ala we will come back with a new host of stories to cover for next week until then it's assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh thank you for listening to our podcast we stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at InspireFM Luton.